That's awesome. Yeah, I forget about the blank tour because it was like t- 10 weeks, I think, just uh, UK and Europe. And yeah, we kind of lost our minds on that. So. <laughs> One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Sapnin Podcast. Sapnin! Sapnin! You are listening to episode 258 of Sapden Podcast featuring myself, Sean Smith, and my good friend, Morgan Richards. Yes, it's me, Morgan Richards, and this podcast doesn't need to be your dirty little secret, even though when he sees my face, it gives Sean hell. It gives Sean hell. It's not just face, it's the puns as well. It's the puns. It's the puns. Slightly more than, do you know what, it's 51, 52-48, like the Brexit Ooh. vote, for your puns over your face. There well, you go. Or you got to keep it strong. And Shut can up! Move Stop along, it! Move along, like I know you do. If you carry on, I'm going to get some rope and I'm going to end up having you swing, swing. <laughs> right, now leave it! Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> Jesus, don't get me involved in this shit. I don't want, this week's guest is the lovely... And I mean fucking lovely, lovely, L-O-V-E hyphen L-double-E, <laughs> Nicholas Wheeler of All-American Rejects. Do you know, one of the first songs I learned on bass, slapping the bass, was Swing Swing, but oh, take this fish. band is a fucking hit machine. The crossover appeal they have had on pop punk emo kids and mainstream radio films in the 2000s especially was insane they've soundtracked a lot of moments for people and nick is a big part of that co-founding the rejects with tyson and that whole first record is just the two of them fastly becoming megastars there's been a couple of question marks on the status in the last few years but they've just come off this massive u.s tour with the likes Oof. of Newfound Glory, The Starting Line, Get Up Kids, Motion City Soundtrack, and more. Jesus Christ. And throughout this conversation, we have constant updates on what's going on behind the scenes, their rich mm-hmm. history, Nick's life as a songwriting record producer in Nashville, and owning his own wheelhouse studio. This is an episode we've wanted to do for a very, very long time. And you actually toured with this band back in 2012. Yes. So 2012, there was an arena tour. The Blackout opened. The All-American Rejects were main support. And a band called Blink-182 headlined. Again, not sure what happened to them. 
But yes, great to have Nick on. Great chat. I can't express how lovely he was. Um, don't know why I thought he'd be anything but lovely, but he was absolutely fucking tremendous. And yeah, we had a great time like we did on that tour with Blink 182. Isn't that the one where you had the magic backgrounds, but you could change it to wherever oh, you were? Oh, yes. That's where Blink-182 said to us. We turned up with a cloth cloth background, and they basically looked at us like we'd zoomed in from the 80s, <laughs> and they were like, no, it's all right. We've got, um, we've got that big LED screen there that you can use. And we were like, all right, cool. Can we put anything on? And they were like, anything you want. So in Nottingham, we had Robin Hood, who was played by, uh, oh, what's Ke- his name? Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner, that's right. Yep, we had Kevin Costner as Robin Hood as our backdrop in Nottingham that said Yee Blackout. So anybody who didn't know who we were thought we were called Yee Blackout. So that's bad advertising, isn't it? That's bad self-promotion. Um, in Liverpool, we had Silla Black saying, surprise, surprise, it's the Blackout. And we came on to the Blind Date theme. And in Cardiff, we had Tom Jones um, saying... All right, look, look out, it's a blackout, or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, getting to watch All American Rejects just play hit after fucking hit every night was fantastic. And then, obviously, Blink-182 was superb. That was the last tour before Tom left. So I don't want to say the blackout and All American Rejects put the final nail in the original <laughs> Blink-182 coffin. But I think it was Nick's fault. Anyway. Oh, on. well, it's all good now. They're back together. There's all niche references. Uh, what? But the all American are? Rejects are coming back to the UK for the first time in a decade as one of the main attractions for Slam Dunk Festival 2024. Whoa. Just announced as one of the first wave of bands for next summer's lineup. And again, throughout this conversation, we're going to get loads of little secrets from producing side of his career to certain classic songs to mad moments and there's wonderful laughs in between before we get into it though a little reminder that go and support this podcast here at our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash sapnin to keep it going each and every week there's a whole community of people over there that you need to meet you need to become friends with come on it's the all sorts of holiday spirits are fast approaching so get in the mood with your new best friends, patreon.com forward slash Sapnin. Share this episode in your Instagram stories and just share it at SapninPod on Instagram and the app for you know as Twitter. But without any further ado, let's get straight on into it. This is Nick Wheeler of the All-American Rejects on episode 258 of Sapnin Podcast. Sapnin! Sapnin! He really is a top egg. Sapnin! 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 Sup. Just kidding. Oh, <laughs> well, that was nearly, that was nearly Nick Wheeler of All American Rejects there. But never mind. Thank you very He's much gone, for listening. <laughs> it's the shortest one we've ever done. But no, this week's guest is multi-instrumentalist, producer, engineer, and um, all-round good egg, 
the lovely Nick Wheeler of All American Rejects. How are you? Hello. Good. Okay, I'll say it for real. Thapping in you guys. Um, yes! Thanks, thanks so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here to talk to y'all. No, a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. We had uh, Cassidy Pope on recently, and she talked very highly oh, yeah. of working with you back in the day on a couple of her albums and stuff like that. So uh-huh. it's just nice that we can uh, connect as well, and there's, there's plenty we want to talk to you about. So thanks for taking the time. Hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but how are you doing at the moment? Because, you know, uh, between the band and producing and on this mad tour in the States you've just come off of, it seems like you ha- don't have time to breathe. Never mind, make coffee and music. So what's going, what's going on at the moment? How was your day-to-day now? How was, how was that tour? How, how are you just decompressing from it? Uh, my day-to-day is good. Thank you for asking. I just had some uh, some fried cauliflower tacos. They were, mm. they were um, delectable. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good. I'm busy. My, my head's spinning a little bit, especially, you know, I just got back from the first tour that I've been on in seven years and the first headlining tour that I've done in 11 years. So, wow. um, kind of... It's not, it, I mean, parts of it are like riding a bike and you just like kind of dive in and it's exactly how you remember it. And then, I mean, also it's over a decade later. So there's some things that are different too. Um, but, but I mean, it was awesome. I'm fucking tired. Um, I'm still like kind of settling in and catching up on sleep and doing laundry and all that shit. But, uh, but I mean, I'm in the studio today working on other stuff. So I'm, I'm learning how to multitask and manage all the aspects of what I've gotten myself into over the last few years. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, what would you say has been the major changes then since you last toured and then did a headline tour, etc.? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Oh man. I mean, well, honestly, the biggest change is the, the crowd is bigger. I don't know how we like, we didn't really go away. Like we, we kept playing shows. Um, granted there were things like, you know, festivals and fairs and corporate gigs and shit like that, that we would just kind of fly in and fly out of. But, um, last time we played for like true fans, um, I don't remember there being so damn many of them. Like we were, 
Well, we didn't know what to expect going into this tour. We were like, I don't know if anybody's going to come. Like, this might just kind of be a last hurrah. Let's just try it since we all, you know, are agreeing to take the time to do it. Let's just do it and see what happens. And like, fuck, like I left that tour with a tattoo commemorating the tour and some really fucking, you know, some, some old friends and some new friends and some fucking great memories, man. Like it, it, I, it's not just bullshit. And, you know, me placating y'all by saying like, it was, the, it was probably the most fun I've ever had on tour. Oh, wow. And it was fucking, it was fucking dramatic. Like there was, there was something to overcome every day, whether it was on the production side or, you know, just like, kind of getting the machine going again, like um, with the band and with our team and everything. Like there was always something to figure out um, a puzzle to put together a hill to climb. There was always something, but despite all of that, like the shows were fucking outrageous. We loved them. And I tell you what um, you mentioned us playing together on the, on the blink tour. Like we, I think I think on the on that Blink tour and on pretty much any tour where we would support, we'd probably play 40 minutes, 45 minutes max, and we loved it. I loved it particularly because I could, you know, be showered and like clean by like 8 or 8.30 and go get dinner somewhere. But uh, but honestly, this tour, like every night we couldn't play long enough. Like unfortunately, when you're playing amphitheaters in the States, there's curfews. Um, whether it's a noise curfew or um, a union thing, like they make you quit at 11. And that fucking sucks because some nights we were up there for 80, 90 minutes and we could have kept going. So wow. that, that was a first, that was a first too. That, that's how you know we're having fun. Like we don't want to fucking go home or, you know, go to the meet and greet or go to bed or whatever. Yeah. Well, I'd like to dive into to that kind of mentality of the rejects a little bit, because as you said, yeah. you, it's a kind of a weird place because you guys didn't really go away, but you weren't super active either. I mean, there was a couple of like one-off singles in between the last few mm-hmm. years and everything. But since you've been doing these shows, it seems like you're having so much fun doing this. What is kind of the, the mentality behind the band at the moment? Is it just like you guys are up for doing stuff if it works or is it just kind of like now and then? I mean, what, what's what's going on? with that behind the scenes well like i said going into this tour i I don't think we knew what to expect or what would follow i think we thought honestly i think we thought we would be underwhelmed nobody would come and we would just go back to our lives occasionally flying out to play you know the fucking iowa state fair or some shit but um you know you're right we didn't go away we didn't do that like breakup thing or Mm. hiatus thing i mean you know, maybe in hindsight, it would have been smarter to say that because, you know, this could have been even bigger. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. One of us could have and then come back. I don't know. Um, but uh, it just felt like it was time. I mean, we did this when we were a young thing last year. And it's 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 that partly it's the, like the nostalgia cycle. But also, like, I feel like we're all older and in a great place to approach this in a healthy way. Um, I think after doing going through the whole record cycle major label 18 month tour thing four times in a row in the course of you know 10 12 years whatever that was i think we were just tired and i think you know maybe we should have taken a hiatus like i said but we just we just stepped back we're like okay let's figure out our lives we are that was all of our 20s our 20s were for fucking up and having all the experiences like we did we took our 30s stuff you know 
get our shit together. And now that we're all about 40, we're like, okay, we can, we can reapproach that. Um, and fuck, I'm so glad we did. Yeah. Yeah. It's just nice to see you guys doing this and just having fun with it. Do you remember how like that first conversation came back up recently of being like, okay, I will, I'm, I'm up, I'm up for doing shows. Did, did anyone in particular reach out or was it an offer that came in and you all just kind of went, yeah, why not? Um, Man, I mean, it felt pretty natural and organic the way the conversation came about. It wasn't like we all said, I mean, we all four live in different cities. So we're rarely just like hanging out, shooting the shit unless we're on tour. Um, So I think it was through just multiple conversations, you know, one on one with some of the other guys. And we do we did uh, after when we were young, we did get a new uh, a new manager. um, And he, you know, he I'm sure he brought the idea to the table. And then for the next several months, we were just like okay, if we do it, what does it look like? Like, who should be on this thing? Um, also, we don't know if anybody's going to come, so we need other bands that can sell tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I know that but, um, but, I mean, in, you know, through, there's throwing all kinds of, you know, random shit at the walls. We landed on what I think is what was the perfect lineup for this first Wet Hot All-American Summer Tour, um, which TM... Um, and hopefully we'll be doing some iteration of it either next year or the following Ooh. year. So, yeah. Nice. We just don't know. We don't know what it is yet. So open to suggestions. <laughs> okay. When that lineup came out, I was like, oh, how quick can I get to America? <laughs> it's too good. Shit. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Could you, could you possibly bring that to the UK or? We, we talked, we talked about it. I, I don't think. I don't think we can afford to bring the package and the production to the UK just yet, but we did just announce yesterday that we're getting to come and do Slam Dunk, which yes. that'll be the that'll be the first time we've been to the UK since I want to say we did Slam Dunk in 2014. It was either 13 or 14, and we haven't been since. So I'm fucking stoked. I've I've got a question surrounding that um, because yeah. I don't know if this is true or is just. A mad rumor I've heard in between gossip. Uh, is it true that like you guys were banned from coming to the UK for a while? <laughs> I I can't speak to that. I have. <laughs> let, let me put it this way. I've I've never heard of that. <laughs> right. Okay. I know. I know. Like I said, after after you know a decade of writing, recording, touring, and then writing recording touring again for you know four records in a row and then on i think it was our third record we did i want to say we literally went around the world in less than 80 days um <laughs> twice uh, i want to say that was 2000 2009 and i just remember i was always sick always fucking it couldn't enjoy it i remember after one of those world trips there, we literally like we left for the UK and then we just kept going around. You know, we kept heading east, you know, you know, Southeast Asia, Australia, Japan. And then we hit Hawaii at the end of it to like celebrate and relax. But I just remember I just had the flu so bad. I just slept the whole time. I remember landing in Hawaii sick as fucking hell. And I got an email. It's like, oh, we have a number one song right now. And like that's how I got the news. I was like, I honestly don't even fucking care. Like this sucks. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well done, boys. Well done. Well done. Everyone. All that to say, uh, yeah. <laughs> all that to say, um, it was hard to kind of stop and smell the roses during all of that. So I think we just got burned out on the long. Uh, we just got burned out on the long flights. But 
I live in Nashville now and there's a direct flight to London. I was actually going to come over to, to the UK um, in March of 2020, but you know, we know what happened then. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that's, mm. yeah, that, yeah. Well, that actually happened because my band was considering getting back together <laughs> at that oh, exact shit. time. So yeah. Yeah. So oh, um, man. yeah. Yeah. If you believe in God, God literally went, well, Sean's, Sean's going to be happy again. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's allowed out of the house. <laughs> oh God. You tinker. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that blows. So, that, apology, that blue. oh, yeah, apologies for that. Yeah, sorry about that. That's that's <laughs> on me. That's on me. That's on you. Yeah, sorry. But yeah, how's how's Nashville treating you? How's um how's the producing and recording going? I love it here. I mean, I've been here shit almost almost nine years now. Um, it doesn't feel like that. Um, it's kind of the first time I moved to a city just for me every other time I've moved has been for, for work, I guess. Um, I tried LA out eventually. I'm from Oklahoma. I stayed there as long as I could, but I did eventually move to LA in 2010 and it wasn't really even convenient. Like I thought it was going to be, it was, I was still an hour away from the airport. Cause it's fucking Los Angeles. Um, and I still toured all the time and never slept in my own bed. So I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? So I started looking around and I, tried out some other places. Um, Nashville seemed to make the most sense because if I got here and it wasn't all that I thought it was cracked up to be, I could still do music stuff. Um, but that wasn't really even the the reason for choosing Nashville. I just liked it because it kind of felt the neighborhood that I'm in. It kind of feels like a Brooklyn or like a Silver Lake. Like it's cool. There's fucking hipsters everywhere. Good coffee, good you know restaurants and shit. But it's 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 still kind of feels like where I'm from, but it has like I said like good restaurants and like things that are open past nine. So that's yeah. <laughs> so that's nice. <laughs> oh, that is a luxury. That is a luxury. Everything closes super early over here, but no. I, I mean, we hear so many stories about how magic Nashville is in terms of just its music legacy and writing and inspiration and stuff like that. And it sounds like the perfect place to build a studio i mean obviously it has this whole country legacy there but it, it seems like it's just full with people within the industry and contacts and songwriters and, and stuff like that is that being a big part of being over there is just how musically inclined that place is well now especially i you know i've I, like i said i've been here almost a decade already so i've i've seen it grow a lot and turn into something that's not just a country music machine yeah you know, I, I mean, it still is. I mean, it's, it's, if, if I cross the river into downtown, it's just fucking country music, but I don't have to. <laughs> like, there is a lot more, there's a lot more music and other genres happening here. People coming here, people visiting here. A lot of the people I work with don't even live in Nashville. They just come to me because it's so centrally located and they like, they like the town. They like the walkability. They like, you know, there's, it's just, it's just a cool vibe. And, um, you know, when I did, when I first moved here, I'd only written with one other person my entire life. And I'd done it for 15 years at that point. And I was like, all right, fine, fuck it. Let's, let's try writing with some other people. And I, I really enjoyed it. Everybody was really welcoming and it was really collaborative. For the most part, it was a good experience. The, uh, the kind of clock in, clock out songwriting thing though. I didn't really connect with the let's all show up at 11 
I don't know how much time we're going to have. Somebody might have to leave at 2.30 to pick up their kids at school or something. Or, you know, like we're trying to get done by three because so-and-so has to get to a, another writing session they're doing later that day. I, it, it just, it kind of, and, and then at the end of the day, it's like, oh, we didn't have a second verse. Oh, well, I, I guess the song will never get finished. Um, or you have to like kind of step away, decide if you care enough about it to get back together. But by the time everybody, you know, everybody has room in their schedule to do so, it's been two months and it's like, do I care about the song that much? Will I care in two months? It's, it's a hustle and a lot of people are really good at it. But for me, and especially on the producer side of it, you know, the way I like making records is I just like to live in a project, whether it's one song or whether it's a full album. Um, you know, like when I did that Cassidy Pope record, like that was just the better part of a year. And that was the only thing I worked on. One, it was COVID and, you know, that's what we were doing. Um, that's all we were doing. But two, like that, that's just, that's just what I love to do. I love to go down a rabbit hole, get lost, find some really cool shit. Maybe a little, I'll find some terrible shit too, but we'll sort that out later. And I, I don't know that I, I love and maybe, you know, maybe that's a little old fashioned. I know the industry and the way people are making and consuming music has changed so drastically. But honestly, when it comes to the creativity and the recording and just making the music, I just I just love living in it. Um, I didn't experience a lot of that when I first moved to Nashville. But now, you know, I, I built a studio. It's on my property. And if that's what I want to do, I can do it. So I just make sure to you know, have the time that I can do that. <laughs> I don't work on a lot of projects each year. You know, I've, I think I've, uh, the band kind of became a full-time gig again for the past several months. But, um, I think after, at the end of this year, I will have worked on like three records and that's kept me plenty busy. <laughs> Is that process just kind of you seeing who wants to be up for doing that and kind of picking and choosing what ones kind of speak to you or what you think you could offer something extra? All of the above. I mean, in the, like I said, it's a hustle here and a lot of people have, you know, they work a lot more hours than I do and they work on a lot more projects than I do at one time. Um, and great for them. That's, that's fucking awesome. And there's a lot of people here that are doing that. And if that's what you want to do, this is a great place to be for that. For me, it's, at the end of the day, it's like, do I like this? Do I want to spend as much time as I like spending on a project? Do I want to spend that kind of time on this with these people? Um, you know, I'm just, I'm in a place in my life where I can, I can be selective like that. And it's, it's, I, you know, I feel very lucky, very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of people will reach out to me or a lot of people that I've written with in the past. It's turned into, you know, an actual recording project, which is great. That's always the end goal for me, just because my favorite day is the day that we're in here, putting up a bunch of microphones and recording music. That's, that's the end goal. So really whatever gets me to that point and where I can enjoy doing that and enjoy the people I'm with, that's, that's, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. I always love hearing producers, different takes on what they do in the studio because you know, you hear stories of some people are just really good engineers. Some people are really great at getting in the, the nitty gritty of songwriting. What approach do you normally like to take when someone's like, I want you to produce our music? Is it kind of like, you're in it completely? Do you take a step back? It's a good question. I, 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 it is always project specific. 
Um, I, I like to think that I can offer something from the songwriting, from engineering, from playing if need be. Um, and then also just being a good editor and just kind of keeping an artist or a band on the rails and like getting the best result or making sense of all the ideas that they've brought in. You know, some, some projects have started from, like I said, just, just writing together and making demos and stuff. And eventually that turns into an EP or a full, full length record. Other, you know, a, a project I worked on earlier this year was a band. They already had all the songs written. They just needed a producer and an engineer and somebody to just make them sound like a band. So that was really fun. A project I'm starting here in a couple weeks is a girl that I've been writing with for a long time. She, her voice is insane, but I'll be playing everything. So like oh. I'll have to be the band. So that's oh. the other end of the spectrum. That's that's a lot yeah. more of what I'm used to, which is co-writing and then playing everything. <laughs> yeah. no that's cool though i like the fact that it's, it's very mixed and like you know you're just songwriting experiences now are just kind of completely different but um going from like a band member to producer point of view i mean obviously rejects have worked with uh, some great producers but two in particular oh, yeah. that i've always admired work in was uh, howard benson and <laughs> eric valentine i mean both of them yep. have, have worked on some of my personal favorite records from Three Cheers to Sweet Revenge and Tell Your Friends. Was there anything in particular you picked up from those two? Or was there anything while you were in the studio with them and just being like, whoa, this is a bit crazy how they work or how different they are to each other? Because especially Benson, you hear so many random oh, yeah. stuff about him. <laughs> you do. He is a, he is a hoot. You know, I will say, like, um, we've worked with, we've made four full length records and worked with four different producers. And yes, I've learned from all four of them what to do and what not to do in the best way. Um, I, I, you know, I do have, a, I do have favorite experiences, but it's not, it doesn't necessarily have everything to do with the producer. It also has to do with maybe where we were sleeping, you know, when we weren't <laughs> recording or the studio itself. Um, you know, we were most comfortable making our fourth record. Because, uh, you know, and the, the third one, because there was a budget, it was the late 2000s. We still got, you know, they, <laughs> they still spent money on, on making records. But, um, but I mean, the answer is yes. Um, sorry, I'm going to take my hoodie off. It's getting warm in here. So I don't want all that jingle on my zipper to, there we go. The answer is yes. I, I learned a lot, especially from Eric Valentine, um, because he is so hands on. Um, and also a lot from Greg Wells and his engineer, Ian. Um, honestly, I, I, I learned a lot from Howard, but I learned more from Mike Plotnikoff, his engineer. Tim O'Hare, who made our first record, um, he was kind of like Eric. I mean, we didn't have the budget that we had with Eric, but we made the record the same way, which was we went into a studio and Tim did everything. He tuned the drums. He you know ran the tape machine. He engineered everything. And then he ended up mixing it as well. Um, Eric did have a, a, an engineer, uh, Matt Radosevich, um, who was a big help as well. But, um, but for the most part, Eric was very hands-on and he did everything. And I relate to that a lot. Maybe it's an ego thing because I've been like in a band and an artist for fucking 25 years, but I, 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 uh, I'm a bit OCD. I'm a bit of a control freak. I do like at least overseeing everything. I like sitting at the console. I like running the session. 
I like tuning the drums myself. It's nice when a drummer knows how to do that and comes in and can do it. But <laughs> it's rare. It's rare though. It's rare. <laughs> it's rare. Everybody's programming drums these days, so nobody knows how to fucking tune them. So I, 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 I do like being very hands-on, and I relate to Eric and Tim, um, especially with that. I, I will say though, when I worked with all these great producers and engineers, I was coming in as as the artist, as part of the band. And my role in the band is kind of the same, like kind of overseeing the musical side of everything. So I do wish I had had more capacity to learn about the technical side of the recording more while I had those opportunities. I I, I did retain some of that, but um, again, for the most part, I was more worried about composition and guitar tones, shit like that. But But yeah, I mean, I, I will say like, I've since gone back to school to fill in some of those holes with like technical shit. Um, but I will say what I learned from making those four records over that decade with those four amazing producers is like an unmatched, like that experience. Not everybody gets that. And it's, it was, they were all unbelievable. And I, I learned, I learned a ton. Nice. Is there, um, is there any, oh, well, I'm sure you've got plenty of Howard Benson uh, of stories of him just doing mad <laughs> stuff, but is there one in particular that always comes to mind that you're like, I still can't believe he did that. <laughs> he's a quirky dude, man. I mean, I, I do think he's the kind of guy who, um, you know, kind of like how I said, I'm a little old fashioned with the way that I approach recording. I think with the dynamic in which he approaches making records might be a little, it doesn't, you don't see it as often anymore. And that is, a lot of people still think this, that, that drama and all, you know, uh, having things to overcome, you know, like I was saying on the tour, um, creates great art. Um, so he would try to stir the pot a little bit. I do remember right. that. But honestly, the, the stuff that I retain the most from that experience is just like I was, I was, um, talking about making that record recently, um, on another podcast and, it was with a guy who had also made a record with Howard Benson. And he reminded me about the Oreo cookie thing, which was he would literally take an Oreo cookie, you know, break it in half, eat, eat the, eat the part that didn't have any frosting on it. As you do get that one out of the way. And then he would just randomly, wherever you were in the studio, I mean, there's guitar picks and shit everywhere all over a studio. He would pick up a guitar pick without knowing who touched it, who'd put it in their mouths, whatever and scrape the frosting off the other side of the Oreo and lick it off the guitar pick. You did, bastard. That was (laughs) nice. Yuck. Wow. And he would do so sitting in a chair like this. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Feet on the seat. Knees up. Yeah. I don't know if this is a visual only podcast or if people would just be listening to it, but I'm my feet are up in the chair and I'm, yeah, I'm in a crouch position, like <laughs> arms on my knees. And, uh, and he would usually be wearing a, uh, a black sweatsuit with a Philadelphia Eagles jersey. Standard. Standard uniform. He definitely had one of those closets where it was the same item of clothing like 20 times, just like Mr. <laughs> Rogers. Uh, wow. Imagine if you found out to, um, the secret to becoming a, an incredible producer is licking the germs <laughs> off um, a plectrum via Oreo I mean, every day. He might, he, 
that might be the secret man he might have figured it out i mean yeah he's ingesting all of the all of the germs and the talent from everyone he works with yeah that's it yeah (laughs) Mm, (laughs) i want to get a vibe for the band um (laughs) let me lick the flavor off your fingers ah i will say that that was that was probably the most efficient record making experience we had because he had a such a solid team he had a, like i said a great engineer with mike plotnikoff um he had a guitar tech who was there you know chasing down amps and pedals and dialing guitar tones um with the the couple of days we did drums i mean like it, it only took 2 days to do all the drums like we wow. made this whole record we made the whole record in like 4 weeks maybe and that was working that was working 6 days a week like say like 8 or 10 hour days like nothing crazy but yeah, I mean, we just knocked it out. It was a, it was a, uh, you know, kind of assembly line way of making records. He had a, a Pro Tools editor, like cleaning up all the tracks as soon as they got recorded in another room, just like chain smoking and editing. Um, like he had, he had a dialed, he had a great team. And because of that, he's able to make fucking 10 records a year or some shit. So good for him. He's got it figured out to me, apart from how to eat Oreo. He's got everything else figured out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it's the opposite approach to being so hands-on and such a control freak, having to have a part in every step of the process, like like an Eric Valentine or like like I like to do. I'm not comparing myself to to Eric in any other way. That guy is a phenomenon. But um, but yeah, the the Howard way is definitely the complete opposite of that. No, it's just it's crazy to hear all the like behind the scenes tidbits and stuff, especially how uh, how these records get made. I, I love that. I love that shit. I love. Just yesterday, um, we were referencing something in here and we were trying to find a video or a documentary or just anything showing how they made that first Leon Bridges record because it's such Ooh. a vibe. And I'm like, I'm like, did they go into like an old studio and like in Memphis and like do this correct or what? And couldn't find anything. But like, that's the kind of shit I love is just like, I want put me in that space and like, let me show me old pictures. Let me try to imagine what that process was like. And you know what? There's a lot of it that's romanticized. I mean, there's, there's, there's magic when the idea gets delivered from the universe or from wherever it's coming from. But then it's really fucking boring. It's like every other industry, I imagine. It's like, I don't know a lot about film and TV, but I've made a lot of music videos and they're fucking like pulling teeth sitting around waiting there's technical issues there's troubleshooting there's it's hate but the the tediousness of making records fucking rules and i love it nice yeah even after even after the magic has 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 come and gone and (laughs) it's just like just the nerdy shit i love it if there is going to be a potential future uh, all American rejects. Would you take the helm as producer, or or would you like to hand it over to somebody else so you're not to blame? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't put that evil on me. <laughs> it's that's funny. I mean, you always want to blame somebody. I'll answer your question, but the, but that that's a funny thought. Um, because in the past, yes, there was a producer, there was a label, there was a manager, and there were plenty of people to blame. I don't feel like we ever blamed a producer. I think us along with the producer made those records. So if one didn't perform well, like, like our, our fourth one, uh, we didn't blame, we blame the label. We blame the label. We blamed our manager. Like 
we felt like we did our job. Yeah, there were no hits on that record, but we felt like we did our job and we delivered a record we were proud of. And the fact that it didn't perform well, we just, they were the scapegoat. Uh, must be the label, label's fault. Um, but no, I mean, we were kind of all to blame on that one. But there, we're discussing how to approach new music. Um, I didn't think this day would ever come. Um, but, but yeah, we're figuring it out. I mean, we haven't Ooh. written, we haven't written together since that force, that fourth record, Kids in the Street. So we're figuring out how to do that. We all live in four different cities. I have a studio here. Mike has a studio in Oklahoma. Tyson now lives in Oklahoma and there's a beautiful studio there um, that we have a good relationship with. Like we can make a record, no problem. As far as getting that kind of outside overlord of mm. a producer with a track record in here, we, we haven't gotten that far yet. We don't even have any songs yet. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but I don't know. That'll be an interesting conversation. I mean, I, I do think at this point, What's nice about having a producer in, in our band is if, if we had, if we had a, a formula where if the song is there, we know exactly how to record it and what it should sound like, we wouldn't need anybody to come in here and produce the record. I think what we always tried to do, and hopefully we'll continue to do so, is push ourselves and come up with new ways of doing things, new instrumentation, new arrangements, new Oh, sorry. Uh, new arrangements, new, uh, just new melodic structures. Just, we just try to push ourselves. And I think a, a producer comes in handy to just keep it on the rails. Like either say, that's fucking cool. Chase that. Don't be scared of that. Or that's a terrible idea. We should move on. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Stop that immediately, please. <laughs> No, but that, I mean, that's really cool that you guys are exploring and having those conversations about new music. You said there you didn't think that day would ever come. I've seen Tyson say so many times in interviews that he doesn't expect it to be <laughs> new reject stuff. So yeah, that, that's really cool. Again, was it just, um, just because of everything that's happened lately? You guys are, you guys are into it or? I mean, everybody is excited, especially us. Um, and, I think that is what we didn't expect. Like I said, we haven't written together since we were 30 and now we're 40. Um, wow. You know, we all have other shit going on, other stuff we want to pursue, families, etc. It used to be when we would create, that was the only thing we had. Like, we would literally pick up and move to wherever we were making or writing that record and just live there, like together, shut the world out and live in that. Um, and maybe that's where I get it. It's like, you know, you know how in therapy, they always, you know, want to know about your childhood and your, uh, your family and shit. Like, this is almost like, I feel like making records now I get from my formative years of making records and living in it. So I think what we didn't expect to ever happen was to be in a place all at the same time to do that again, because that's how we've always done it. But, you know, like I said, people make records differently. People create differently. We all live closer now. Nobody lives in L.A. anymore. So, um, actually, Chris lives in L.A., but he said he's moving back to Oklahoma. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but Tyson and I do live closer together now. And, you know, we're yeah, we're talking about 
possibly making trips back and forth and just fig- try trying it out, seeing where it goes. No pressure, yeah. no expectations. Um, but we're excited to explore that. And honestly, we're, we're excited to do more shows and play more shows for fans, not just fucking, you know, yokels at the state fair. And we got to do that a lot more this year. And next year, it looks like we're getting to do it a lot more overseas, starting with Brazil, starting with Brazil in February nice. and March. Come to um, Brazil. Never, yes. Yeah. Never been, uh, come to Brazil. <laughs> yeah. Um, never been, never been to any of the other Americas. So I'm stoked wow. about that. Um, and then, and then, yeah, next up is the UK. So that'll be, that'll be a fucking blast. Come to Newcastle. Yes. Come to Brazil and come to Newcastle. The two Hell most yeah. asked for places in the world. I don't know why, but that's always, that's always You'd the thing. You'd think the way the Brazilians go on about come to Brazil, you would swear that they've got like the biggest, like, rock following in the world. Like, you'd think that every band who goes over to Brazil would be playing to a hundred thousand people the way they go on to, like, come to on every post <laughs> every band always gets come to brazil or come to newcastle one of the I worst mean, I, places I did always I, <laughs> I did always have those concert dvds that were like uh rock and rio or whatever like iron maiden and rush and like I, I i'm sure they do have a huge rock following but i mean i don't know we'll we'll see what happens when we go <laughs> yeah <laughs> much you yeah much you go over there and you're like jesus christ there's a million people have turned up i can't believe we're this big in brazil I did hear every. I did hear everybody there is really good looking, so that's exciting. Oh, good, nice, <laughs> nice, like, like Australia. I found that oh Australia. My God. I fucking love Australia so oh, much. Oh, me too. Um, quick, quick, funny story about the good looking people in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> when my band were over there last, me, our front of house um, sound tech, and our tour manager went to a nightclub, and we walked in. And we were the three ugliest people in the room, right? <laughs> and then I turned around and a tour manager had left. And I phoned him and I was like, Pablo, how come you've left? And he went, Sean, I was the ugliest person in the room. <laughs> and I was like, nice one, because I am now. <laughs> and then I had to leave. I'm leaving, that, that torch gets passed to you. But yeah, fucking, yeah. <laughs> what a, yeah, I love Australia. I fucking love Australia. To me, it too. feels like the best parts of America Canada and Britain all smashing together. That's what oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody kind of speaks the same language. The food's great. The wine's great. There's beaches everywhere. I do want to see the parts of Australia that you don't get to tour in though. Like the middle. <laughs> it, yeah. Anywhere in the middle. Is it, I mean, like, cause you know, when people think of the United States, when people overseas think of the United States, they think of Los Angeles, New York, and everything in the middle is, I don't know, just Texas. Um, so, but, but nobody knows anything about the middle. Is that just because they haven't been or is like Australia is, is there anything in the middle? I don't know. That's probably a really ignorant question, but I think it's, I think it's a lot of de- desert land uh, in the middle. I feel like it would, it would feel like being on another planet. And that's why they all kind of live on the edges, really, okay. basically, because, yeah, the middle is, it's, it's massive. It's so vast as well. Yeah. And yeah, there's, it's just desert. And then that one big rock, I can't remember what it is. A's rock. Yes. Okay. There you go. A bit of, yeah. Is there, a bit of geology is, there ag- on. is there like agriculture in the middle? Like there is in the States, like, or is it literally just fucking desert? I, I don't know. I don't know. This could sure. turn into a completely different podcast yeah. right now. Yeah, it's fine. I like I was, it. I like where this is going. I was yeah. going to say, yeah. it's become a geography lesson with you two. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 
There's going to be Australians listening to this going, fuck, all this is wrong. We're so angry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> saying, I hope those bands never fucking come to Australia. Fuck those guys. Yeah, uh, oh. tweet at us, um, at Sapling Pod. Tell us how wrong we are about <laughs> Australia and how it's got a thriving uh, epicenter. I'm sure, I'm, sure it, I'm sure it does. And we're just fucking, well, I'm just, an, you know, I'm, I'm just the American in the room, so... I I have an excuse. I'm a dumb American. What's yours? Well, we've got silly uh, accents, so there we are. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> but no, it's, it is very exciting to see that you guys are looking to do loads more stuff overseas and that you're going to be playing all these shows and, and whatnot. But taking um, a trip down memory lane a little bit, and you know, you said yeah. throughout about you know, those formative years of songwriting for you, and you know, that first record was just you and Tyson kind mm-hmm. of still in school kind of dropping out and then just kind of going 100% with the band. Like, could you take us back to, to those times and like the first ideas of the reject songs and then like getting into the studio and you play multiple instruments? It must seem like looking back, just like a, such a wholesome time of, of not expecting where this band would actually go. I mean, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Like, I mean, I guess, I guess it's kind of the healthiest attitude to have. Like, you don't have expectations. Um, you don't have pressure. Nobody else is listening or cares. You're just doing it for yourselves. And, you know, when then, when if you're lucky, like we were, and one person who has a record company hears us and does care, that's exciting. That allowed us the ability to go to New York. And even though we were sleeping on the producer's floor and surviving mostly on like tofu dogs, we still got to make a record to tape on a fucking Neve console from the 60s, you know? Um, Yeah, I mean, but again, like, yes, while I appreciated every bit of it, at the same time, it was almost like I felt like we were on a mission to like make this record. And so... Again, it's, it's kind of, it wasn't a lot of living in the moment and appreciating exactly where we were and what we were getting to do on what we were doing it on. Um, we were, it was just all about the songs and getting the ideas out the way we wanted them to, you know, to, to sound or be heard. Sorry, I'm just kind of thinking out loud, but, but yeah, I, there there was no goal. I think the only goal for me was just getting the fuck out of Oklahoma. You know, nobody likes where they, you know, their hometown. Some people end up in, end up going back, but but for me I I just I I never saw myself staying there, so I w- kind of wanted to get started on leaving. I dro- I dropped out. I went to I I grew up in a college town, um so I went to college there um while living still living at my parents' house. So that's you know, that's another thing like once you graduate high school, if you're still living at your parents' house, which a lot of people have to nowadays, I understand, but um doesn't mean that you, you, you want to get out of there faster. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I didn't really get to have the college experience. That didn't come until I was touring. That that was my college experience. Yeah. And that was that was that was where the the debauchery and the fucking up and just the life lessons came in was when I was on tour. Uh, I kind of just wanted to get that started. So the you know, I found the person that I clicked with creatively and we just buckled down and we just, that's all we did. That's kind of where it started. You know, that's all we did. Um, Tyson even graduated high school early, so he would have more time to write and make a record. 
Um, wow. I, I dropped out of college so that I could, you know, sleep till noon and then just make a fucking record. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's very, very selfish and one track minded, but um, that's especially that's how that, that first record had to go. We just had to give everything else up and, you know, leave it all behind. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How uh, complimentary were the two of you in terms of songwriting together back in that day? Like, do you remember one of the first like ideas between one of you brought to the table and the other one went, "Ooh, I've got this that could go with it," or just sparked from? Absolutely. There? I mean, our, our relationship has always been very opposite but complementary. Um, you know the the way that he. The way that the way that he writes lyrics and forms the thought and then makes it musical is is insane. And I don't need to touch that. That's his world. Um, the way the way that I see a song as a puzzle and approaching it more from a, a melodic yes, but more from a musical sense. Um, that's kind of what I bring to the table, and I think that's a really great match. Um, as far as you know, finishing each other's ideas and whatnot. You know, it's it's. You know, there might be a spark of an idea that Tyson will bring in or even a more fleshed out idea sometimes. Um, but it just kind of goes back and forth. And we're, we've usually done that in the same room. A couple songs have been more like, you know, postal service style, um, where we're just kind of sending ideas back and forth. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of that if we choose to write some new music. But, um, but yeah, back then it's, there's something magical about being in the same room as somebody because I remember writing, the last song um he was just kind of showing me the chorus while playing on playing playing the bass and there's a flat seven chord in that like he accidentally hit the wrong chord um <laughs> and i was and he's like oh shit sorry and i was like no, no that's fucking it like that mistake you just made like that's a weird chord but it's fucking cool like that's what we're doing um just little things like that that happen in the room are are fucking magical and then you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of times, um, I like to sit with something and just like I, you know, like I keep saying, just kind of go down the rabbit hole with it. So, creating that first record, especially, there would be a lot of, we would kind of have an outline for a song, maybe a melody, and then you know, Tyson would be in school the next day. I'd already dropped out at this point, so I would just be sitting at home with my my um, desktop Dell computer is what I was recording on at that time <laughs> uh, with cakewalk uh cakewalk seven or eight um and i you know i would just throw a bunch of ideas down 
And then Tyson would come over afterwards and like, what do you think for like the vibe of the song? And then we just kind of go from there. Wow. Oh, I love that. Super I love that. cool. While we're on that uh, timeline as well, um, the video for Swing Swing used to get played a lot on Kerrang! Yeah. over here so much. It probably still does, but especially when I was watching oh, yeah, Reggae, Kerrang. Fuck it yeah. used to be on all on repeat. But I learned recently that you actually shot a completely different <laughs> video for that, very much lower budget, um, oh, yeah. but it never came out. Like, How close was it? being gonna you were gonna put that out before you got like the proper budget to do, to do the video that we all have seeing and know i'd like to say it never got even close to coming out Ooh, okay okay <laughs> i can't say for certain um <laughs> i just know that we kind of did it ourselves um uh tim our producer's uh girlfriend at the time helped us make it um we didn't really have a, an identity for the band yet you know we just had the songs and we were just a couple kids in fucking t-shirts and jeans and Converse. And I think when we made a video, we were like, I don't, we, we were like, do we, do we need to like, like dress nice? Like, what do we even, <laughs> how, how do we, how, what do we do in a video? So we, yeah, we made this silly video that had, there was a storyline and there was like a love interest, I think. Um, I don't remember too much about that, but I do remember the performance. Um, I was wearing like some shiny shirt tucked into some slacks. It was, I don't, it, we looked like the fucking click five or something, but, um, I, and yeah, there was no budget. Like we did this all ourselves with Tim's <laughs> girlfriend. Um, but we just like one afternoon got like a, one of those photo studios that had like a white wall, um, set up, you know, I played guitar in some scenes, Tyson sang and played bass. And then I played drums in some scenes. And then we played together. It looked really weird. We tried to make two guys look like a whole band. <laughs> it, it was ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, but between the, between just the weird, is it two guys or is it four? Is, why are they, why are their shirts so, uh, so shiny? But, but to, between <laughs> all of that, I think the, I think the label Doghouse was like, yeah, I'm glad you had fun doing this, but nah. Um, and then once, um, once we, uh, moved the record over to DreamWorks and there was an actual video budget and a, a great director attached, Marco Siega, I think, um, it was like, all right, let's put the shiny shirts away, put the Converse and the fucking t-shirts back on, just fucking be yourselves. And that was what was so ironic. I feel like, we were on an indie label making a low budget video, trying to make it look like a fancy video. Yeah. And then once there was, you know, a hundred grand to work with to make a video on DreamWorks, they were just like, I don't know, just fucking wear whatever you have on when you get there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it was honestly just, just be yourselves, fucking four kids from Oklahoma playing in a fucking dirt lot. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of the label going, seeing the second video, second version of uh, Swing Swing, and going, oh, I thought you were just a pair of, you two pairs of twins, but now you're not. Oh, you've got other people in the band. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. I thought you were two pairs of twins that dressed alike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Constantly. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Another thing I wa I've always wanted to ask, um, the guitar solo in um, Gives You Hell. Yeah. The genius discordant note. Who came up with that? Who was... Oh, uh, yeah. Because the, fir about, the first time I heard it, it literally stopped me walking. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what's that meant that, to happen? 
It's that minor third that just gradually yeah. bends and you hope will finally get there, but it doesn't. I love um, it. No, that, that was me. That's just one of those, that's one of those examples of like, that's what's great about the relationship Tyson and I have when we're writing is that you have somebody immediately to be like, okay, I just did something. <laughs> I, I think I love it, but I might hate it. I don't know. What do you think? Um, and, you know, kind of like I was saying with the last song, like, I played it and he was like, I mean, yeah, that totally makes sense. It sounds like the song is supposed to sound. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then with something as fucking weird and quirky as that, I feel like you really have to lean into it. Um, Oh, my lamp just turned off because the motion sensor went out. Hang on. There we go. All right. Not enough dancing. I've been sitting here here too long. So my motion (laughs) sensor uh, thought I left. Um, Apologies. No, no, I wasn't saying I need to get out of here. My lamp, the lamp's feather. My lava lamp has lamp. turned back the lamp's on. Like um, the lamp. Lamp. <laughs> um, but you know, then, I think you really got to lean into stuff like that. So when we did go into the studio with Eric Valentine to make that record, um, I had just I had just seen the uh, there was a, a series on VH1 that they now you have to buy the DVDs of them, but it was called Classic Albums, where they would have an artist, usually a, a huge artist, um, go in, sit at the console and solo various instruments or parts of a record and talk about it. Fucking fascinating show for, for people like me who love nerdy shit like that. But, um, I remember seeing the one for Night at the Opera by Queen and, uh, there's a song called, uh, Lazing on a Sunday Afternoon, I think it was called, um, where, the vocal sound is an empty paint can, pair of headphones thrown in, and then Freddie's off in another room singing. But the sound that they use on the record is not his direct vocal into a microphone. It's a microphone in a paint can recording sound coming out of those headphones. Wow. And it's fucking fascinating. So that's that's kind of what we did for the Gives You Hell guitar tone. I remember <laughs> we're just kind of like, we're like, where the fuck did Eric go? Um, we're just in the, in the control room. Like, what the fuck is going on? And then um, he, you know, he is just extra in every way, technically speaking. Um, he doesn't have any glass in the control room. You cannot see into the live room from the control room because he just wants it fully insulated, fully isolated from the rest of the studio. So he had this like, uh, like a security camera thing where you could like switch between the various rooms in the studio as well as the parking lot. The parking lot happened to be the image on the screen. And we're like, is that it? Is he outside? What is he doing? Oh, he's emptying a paint can in the fucking parking lot. (laughs) Um, so yeah, we we kind of we kind of tried to do something similar just to get that weird hollow kind of like coming out of a radio, like an old old timey radio um, kind of thing. That's the other thing about making records now, man. There's a there's there's a plug in. There's a fucking preset for that. I was just gonna say yeah yeah. But it's so much cooler to fucking <laughs> empty a paint can, throw some headphones in it, and and, <laughs> and fucking mic that. But how much cooler is it to be the guy who brings out the the new plugins that are paint can based? (laughs) You should look into that, Nick. Yeah, you should look into that. You could you could be the leader in the weird plugins added. Yeah. Oh, the mind is racing. I'm off. 
<laughs> TM. Yeah, that and then just get the bike sound that John Feldman loves to put on used records as well. And then you're, oh, yeah. you're sorted. Oh, what is that secret? Oh, right. he's just, yeah, there's one, one of the used songs where John Feldman, for some reason, decided instead of drums and percussion, um, let's just use the sound of a bike being pedaled um, like you do. And it works. Of course it works. <laughs> Does it have like that kind yeah. of like sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can kind of hear the chain and the pedals or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking interesting. I, I love that shit. That's super creative and that's, it's organic, but then you, then you can fuck it up with whatever you want. Like it's, it's, it's so fun to find, to, to find shit like that or think of shit like that. And I try to do that here. It makes me, it, it makes the process of making records extremely slow and inefficient, but Mm. Honestly, like that's 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 where the actual magic is. I feel. I remember the first time I saw um, the used recording, their first record with John. I saw a video of Bert was in a tunnel, and I remember being shocked because, like, my my band had done our first record, and we'd done it like in a guy's basically house, and we were just in the studio solidly. Um, but then I saw like Bert McCracken with an SM7 and a Mac just in a tunnel recording a vocal. And I was like, you can do that. that what? You can do that's that. Fucking, yeah, that's fucking. Yeah. So I just remember <laughs> seeing all those ways of recording and being blown away. Like, out, oh yeah, I never thought of that. I never <laughs> didn't realize well, we were allowed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to be like a, like a $10,000, you know, German microphone um, in a immaculate studio. I mean, I would prefer it to be that because that's just that's just an amazing experience to have. But um, you know, I, I always I remember I forget what we were make what record we were making. Um, I, I just remember doing a mic shootout and Tyson just wanting to sing on like the most esoteric, like dinosaur looking microphone, just to you know to sing into that and look at that for several hours. But it, we ended up using the SM7 because it sounded better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, when we were making When the World Comes Down, um, we, we did go a little stir crazy in Eric's studio. Um, we were there for nine months recording that record because we did all wow. the tape. We did all the tape too. So Ooh. Eric is tedious and very uh, detail oriented um, in the best way. Um, but a, a band can kind of go stir crazy, you know, being like, what did, what did we do today? Oh, we we figured out the snare sound for one song or what do we do today? Oh, we did two guitar overdubs that that can get a little old. So we did mix it up and we went to Atlanta to a space that we were familiar with a space that we ended up writing some of the record or we, no, we wrote some, of move along there. Anyway, it doesn't matter. There was some vocals that still need to be recorded. And Eric literally had a, you know, an interface and maybe a couple mic pre's or something. His, his vocal chain um, set up on a card table in a fucking shitty plywood rehearsal room. And Tyson had an SM7 on a mic stand. And then he literally wrapped himself up in a curtain. So it was to isolate himself and did not have any reflections from this horribly treated room. Wow. And that's, that's how we recorded some of the vocals on when the world comes down. Like, yes, <laughs> with a big cape. Yes. <laughs> Curtain cape, curtain cape. Ah, oh, see, this is this is the stories we love. This is the stories we love. Um, speaking of Eric Valentine, there's obviously another Taken Back Sunday ish connection with the Rejects and the fact that you had Matt Robano uh, playing oh, yeah. for you for quite a few years <laughs> oh, yeah. live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Matt, Matt's awesome. 
I bring this up because we're good friends with Matt and we've had him on the podcast before oh, no and, and everything. But we talked so much about other aspects of his career. We didn't touch, we didn't dive into his reject experience as much as I would have liked to. But I was just wondering, like, was there ever a point when he was playing with you where you guys thought like, oh, maybe he was, you know, you want to keep him in the band full time or recording with you guys? Or was it just kind of like uh, a live experience in, in at the time needed someone to, to come out on the road? I, I don't think we were ever uh, seeing it. Um, you know, if, if there was a permanence there, it would it would have been more of a live thing. And that's nothing against Matt. He's an he's an incendiary bass player. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean. Our singer plays bass, so try taking the bass away from the yeah. lead singer. <laughs> That's all about, yeah. But <laughs> no, and, uh, and honestly, t- because Tyson is a vocalist, his bass lines are very melodic and very creative. And it's not just the dude playing the root notes. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Um, so I, I do, I do love Tyson's instincts for those bass lines, and you know, I'm sure Matt is good enough to where he could put himself in that headspace and come up with something similar. Um, but yeah, we, it was always just more of a live thing, I think. Um, and it, and he played with us while we toured kids in the street. He actually, he probably would have been at that show in Wales, um, that we played with blank in 2012. Yeah, um, and then was, there yeah. wasn't, there was no music after that for several years. So at, at that point, Matt had moved on. We weren't playing as many shows. Um, so I, honestly, we never even got to that got to the point where that would have been a conversation we had. But um, I think we always looked at it as a, Hey, Tyson doesn't want to be tied down, you know, to a mic stand playing the bass on every single song in the set. He wants to, you know, go be a lead singer a little bit and a front man. So we, you know, we started dabbling with that a little bit on the third record. And then once Matt came on, I, I remember every night he would just be playing more and more songs and Tyson would go do, just go do his thing. He's a good egg, our, our Matt. Yeah. He's a lovely, lovely boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you did you know that he played on a Shack uh, a Shack record? He played on uh, one of the early hip hop uh, records, the Shack Kilo <laughs> Neil. Uh, Kilo Neil. I I don't doubt it. I'm <laughs> I'm more surprised. I'm less surprised about that fact than I am uh, the fact that Shaq just has a record at all. That's that's incredible. Yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that that shocked me as well. I didn't I didn't realize that, but yeah, you know. Well, the thing is, he brought one out years and years ago that Matt Rubano played on, and I think he's he's bringing out material lately as well. He started uh, rapping again. He started singing his rap songs again. Well, so Shaq look has? That. Yeah, yeah. Have a look. So he does DJ Diesel when he goes out <laughs> and DJs dubstep. Which is mad because, like, imagine going to a festival and then you just look up to the DJ and it's two hundred foot giant man Shaquille O'Neal just head banging I mean, to dubstep. I've seen, I've seen like those memes where it's like Shaq in his kitchen, like DJing for his kids. Yes, yeah. he loves it. Yeah, then they'll put like Owl City or something like hilarious <laughs> yeah. over it, um, and it's like kids are going off like hell yeah. Um, I've, I've seen that. I didn't know it was an, an actual thing that he went and oh. didn't. Have- Public though. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He goes to all the big, um, all the big EDM events and and DJs there. It's crazy. Oh, shit. It's well, mental. I I can't wait for the All American Reject Shaquille O'Neal tour coming soon. Well, this Dude, is what I was. Let's, what let's I was get the col- let's get a collab going as the as yes. the kids say now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Finally, <laughs> All American Rejects Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. 
featuring Shaquille O'Neal or vice versa. <laughs> Honestly, I think it should go the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, Nick, as we start to wind down this conversation a little bit, I really appreciate uh, all the honesty and, and stories you've, you've shared with us. But I mean, you know, throughout, you've said how much of the machine rejects as being in that kind of touring cycle and just constantly being on the road in between records in that time. And is there any memories that stick out from that that you think like when you get to dissect it a little bit now that are just like, oh my God, the fact that we got to do that was crazy or being any circumstances that you just kind of look back on and just amazed by? I mean, yeah, there's there's plenty of things that there's probably tons of things I don't even remember that happened. Um, just because, you know, the other day we were sitting down and we were actually looking at our tour, our tour schedule from the first 10 years of our career and how ridiculous wow. it was. There was a lot of traveling and I saw a lot of shit in a short amount of time. Um, just I, uh, literally getting to like see the world and, you know, fucking go to Stonehenge and, uh, I don't know, go, you know, go to Australia multiple times in a single year. Who fucking does that? <laughs> you know, there, of course there's like little things like, uh, because of, because of, I, I happened to get lucky and be in a successful band in the early two thousands. I got to, you know, interview Def Leppard for a metal magazine, like, wow. nice. which, you know, they're, they're, you know, they were and always will be like the most, influential uh just formative band for me so like i got to do that when i was like 21 like that's ridiculous <laughs> yeah that's awesome but, but you know just of course there's like all, little things like that and you know people you run into people you meet whatever you know just because i live in nashville and i have dogs i met steven tyler at baggage claim because our dogs happened to like what like wow. want to meet each other like just random shit like that you know, and as I get older and as I'm home a lot more now, less and less of that stuff happens. But just the, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a million little anecdotes like that I can share. But I mean, just, just the overall experience and getting to do what, what I did, how I spent my twenties, like was, it's fucking insane. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where for, fortunately, I feel like, in those earlier days, uh, those memories are easier to recall because there were a lot of firsts, you know, just, just like you always remember your first time. Like I remember my, I had a lot of firsts. Um, and those, those are what I'm going to remember it as we started repeating things. And like I said, going to the same place multiple times, sometimes in the same year, kind of start for forgetting or not remembering them as well, or being like, wait, which, where, where, what country were in when that happened? Or, which time was that? Fortunately, because you know, I'm, I'm sure you can relate when you're in a band and you're making records. I don't think um, I don't. You know, if you say 2008, I don't think. Oh, I was 26. I think. Oh, 2008. That was when we were recording our third record, and we were at Eric Valentine's place seven days a week for nine months. Like that. That's how I kind of. Uh, compartmentalize time and in, in, in history. You know what I mean? So all of those years are, are, are going to be blocked off like that. 2013, 14, though, I don't fucking know what happened those years. We, cause the band didn't do anything those two years. So they're just a blur. Um, 15, I moved to Nashville, but then 16, 17, 18, I don't fucking know. 
Um, <laughs> it kind of. <it, laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I just, I just feel fortunate, and um, everything I got, I've, I've gotten to do, and you know, now hopefully there'll be some, some new memories and new experiences now that you know the band is getting busier, and I'll be, you know, you know, leaving the house again. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's always a pleasure to like, look back on that stuff and, and talk about experiences, especially when it relates to, you know, record making or just sometimes I probably get a little too inside baseball with, uh, is that even a term in the UK? Oh, uh, no, we, yeah, we, we, we get it. Yeah, it's being on the okay. US shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get it. <laughs> I, I haven't used that term before, but I've heard it a lot. So I thought I'd try it on and I was like... <laughs> Talk about baseball on a podcast with the UK. <laughs> All right, that's fucking silly. But um, some, you know, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I can get a little too nerdy with it. But it, it, it when a yeah, just talking about whether it's with history or memories or record making or and how it relates to just where I'm at now, or even just getting to look back on it with actual perspective. Because when you're when you're talking about doing that shit while you're doing it, it just sounds like you're bragging. And I don't mean to sound that, like that way. I don't mean to sound like that way uh, right now either. Like I've got to do a lot of cool shit and I can't say any of it without feeling like I'm being like snap. Yeah. <laughs> without being like, like sleazy. Um, but, but yeah, like actually being an adult and being able to look back on that shit more objectively and being like, that was fucking stupid. Or like, I can't believe I got to do that. Like that, that's always fun. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great exercise. So thanks for allowing me to, to do that. <laughs> no, no, honestly, pleasure is all ours. Want to hear these stories for so long. So thank you for, for sharing them. Oh, thank yeah. you for, uh, for just continuing to keeping this thing alive as well. I'm so excited that you guys are coming back to the UK for slam dunk. And yeah. I just can't wait to see too. what's going on. I haven't, I haven't been on a flight longer than four hours in a very long time. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to start, start downloading some shit on Netflix now. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we got different <laughs> Netflix over here as well. Yeah. So, and I've just realized how inside baseball, the term inside baseball is coming from an American to a UK. <laughs> yes. Lost on me. The irony yep. of inside baseball is not lost on me. <laughs> I knew Absolutely it. brilliant. But yeah, this has been absolutely fantastic. Super, super good. Thank you so much for this, Nick. Um, My yeah, pleasure. I've really, really, really enjoyed myself. So appreciate this very, very much. Thank you. Likewise. Appreciate y'all. Yes. That was the beautiful Nicholas Wheeler of All American Rejects, the creator of my favorite guitar note in a song. (laughs) Um, that fucking discordant note or whatever it is in gives you hell is fucking genius. It's so good. I love it. I remember the first time I heard it, I was in complete shock. I was like, ah, what? Ah, it's fuck. I love it. I love it. But nothing's better than one of them rock discos that I sometimes DJ at <laughs> playing that song or watching people doing the guitar solo. And they always, they always make a uh, <laughs> face. Which you can't see on an audio podcast. But no, you imagine can't. me with a more distorted face than usual. <gasps> oh, God. Good God, no. But yeah, that's what it's like anyway. But yes, thank you very much to Nick and his team for sorting it out and all American Rejects for existing and giving us some fucking brilliant songs. Absolutely brilliant songs. You mentioned those <laughs> nightclub discos. 
the amount of their hits that get played constantly over here to is, this day uh, to this day it's great they're always a bloody sing-along i'm so happy that the band are back doing stuff maybe making some new music and coming mm. back to the uk for slam dunk 2024 i'm definitely going to be down the front singing along it's just funny how this industry works and again another prime example of it being such a small world and everyone being friends with the links between them and Matt Rubano and Cassidy Pope and us. Everyone's just, I love it. I love how it's just one giant happy emo family in a lot of ways. Yes. I was going to say inbred fuck fest, but no, you are right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my, my <laughs> phrase is probably a bit better. I don't know. Yeah. 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 You also get more headlines. But Very mine, much so. But mine's just like maybe a bit more... Try the clickbait. You're the actual journalist. There you go. That's what it is, isn't it? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Speaking of um, emo throwbacks and people on this podcast, um, awful segue, but you're going to be supporting a, a classic band that we all love. Don't say classic. Card. Don't say okay. classic. Because that, timeless, that timeless. Sense. Timeless band? <sighs> um, Look, um, we're supporting the fucking mighty Finch. On Monday, November the 6th, we are supporting... My band Raiders are opening up for Finch and another band at the Tram Shed in Cardiff. I cannot wait. I hate the idea of it. All of our bands now being classic rock, because that makes me feel sick inside. But yes, we're supporting Finch. We're celebrating the 20th anniversary of their first record, What It Is To Burn. And it's a fucking good end. I cannot wait. Very, very nice. If you're in the UK, make sure to head over to raiders social media pages which are at raiders band uk on um instagram x and what for the updates on that and how you can get your tickets and keep an eye on everything to do with the podcast at Saffin pod on those same platforms uh because we got so much stuff going on and if you're a member of our patreon community patreon.com for mm. sapnin you might have heard of us trying to get some merch together or maybe celebrate something soon as well. So, you know, come and join the party if there is one and come and uh, just get involved with this wonderful community. And Do speaking it. of come them, on. if you head to the description of this episode, there's loads of names there that we thank. And as always, Sean is going to give them a hoosive shout out to the elite members of our Satman Podcast Patreon community. Those are the lovely people in the top tiers. Yes, they are as follows. Thank you very much, and get well soon to Kylie Wheeler. Thank you very much, Mayumi, Mayumi, Janelle Cast, and Paul Hirschfield, Tony Michael, Dilly Califragilistic, XBL, Grimwood, Kelly Ewan, Scarlett Charlton, Natasha Morris, Emma Barber, Mitch Perry, Nathan Croshaw, Nathan White, Amy Louise, Alexandra Pemblinton, Kate Besant, Molly Malloy, and James Bowerbank, Jonathan Gutierrez. I still haven't tried that bloody coffee. Thank you very much, Jenny Robinson, Murray Grimwood, Scott Jones, Amy Dawson, Stuart McNaught, Ellen Southfield, Stephen Aston. Caroline Robson, Kate Patrick, Martina McManus, Louis Cook, Carl Pendlebury, Danny Eaton, James McNaught, Jenny Munster, Jason Aredia, John and Emma, M. Evans Roberts, Craig Harris, Evan, Sean Foynes, Vicky, Emily Perry, Adam King of the Goss Parslow, Khalil Keen, Ollie Amesbury, Josh did the Europe of the Two Thieves of Stole a Calendar. They each, each got six months crisp. That's the same as last week's. Thank you very much, Kyle David Smith and Connor Lewis and family. And also, I want to give a shout out to Brett and Steph. Um, my friends who are getting married this weekend. So, uh, yeah. Yay. Love and all that. Oh, also, uh, no. we should probably give a shout out that two members of our Patreon 
who met in the Patreon are now oh, engaged. Yeah. Yes, they are. Well, <laughs> who'd have fucking thought? Yes, well done, Lucy and Paul. Um, well done, Paul, on somehow persuading Lucy to say yes. I don't know how you managed it. Must have been a bribery. Bringing people together. Patreon.com forward slash No, that fucking singing, we not. Anyway, yes, that's it. This was a great episode. Cheers, Nick. Cheers, All American Rejects. Cheers, Morgan. Cheers, everyone. Sapnik! Sapnik! I'm having a stroke, I think. Could you smell toast? You're listening to Sapnin Podcast with Sean Smith and Morgan Richards. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast or streaming it or I don't, I don't know what else you do with podcasts. Um, thank you very much.